to the fourth episode this year. We're doing great. Of course, Houston, I know it's been cold and wet this week, and now we're getting back into the 70s, so you never know what you're going to wear from day to day. And it just happens. <laughs> but just so everybody knows, Amy is pretty much out sick, unfortunately. She either has strep throat or COVID with the symptoms that she described. I would definitely say more like strep throat. So send your prayers to her. And I know we have mm-hmm. four more four more shows scheduled, and three of them are going to be conventions that are going to be happening here in the Houston area. So looking forward to talking to them and seeing who they might be able to tell us is coming to their show. But today we are here with Tiffany Grant, and I have to say it was a privilege meeting mm-hmm. at Waifu Fest, and I know we've been talking, we actually went <laughs> to the same high school, so we <laughs> yes. actually had a lot to talk about. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so, so I have to ask Go Highlanders. <laughs> yes, definitely. Go yes. Highlanders. Mm-hmm. What got you started um, into voice acting? Well, uh, thank you for inviting me to be here, Greg, uh, with my uh, fellow uh, McCullough alum. Uh, <laughs> I always was uh, kind of involved with acting, you know, as far just about as far back as I can remember, like doing a school play in the second grade of the elves and the shoemaker. And so I was doing, you know, plays in, in grade school, junior high, high school, college, all of that. And I actually, I had really sort of acquired an interest in voice acting, although I wouldn't have known the term to, to use that term voice acting, probably starting maybe around the time I was about nine years old, I got this little Sony tape player uh, like for Christmas one year and, uh, back in the day before you had, you know, digital recording things, what you recorded stuff on was that tapes. And I would, with my friends, we would make up these sketches and characters and do terrible celebrity impersonations and we would record them on these tapes. And I think we recorded over a lot of them because, you know, you had to buy the cassette tapes <laughs> all we had was our allowance um anyway uh but i never thought about it as like really being a job or anything it was just something i kind of did for fun and then in 
1994, actually just in a few days, we'll be coming up on my 29th anniversary. Um, I heard about an audition that was going on from a friend of mine, somebody that I had known since junior high. There was a brand new company that had started up in Houston, where I'm from, and uh, AD Vision is what it was called, and they were going to dub their very first anime. So they were looking for actors. They had never hired any actors before. No anime had ever been dubbed in Texas at that point. And so they told all their friends, like, hey, if, if you know any actors, tell them to come to our, our audition. And so, the, I mean, AD Vision at the time, I don't know, they maybe had like a half a dozen employees. It wasn't very many people. And so they all kind of asked their friends, hey, does anybody know some actors? And one of the people who knew them also knew me. So there was a mutual friend between me and one of the original ABV people. And uh, he said, hey, you know, this is what's going on and they're looking for some actors. And I remembered that you're an actor and uh, maybe you'd be interested. So that's, that's kind of how it all started. That was, as I like to say, the genesis. But I, so I, call, I called him up and I said, hey, I heard that you're having an audition and they said, oh, sure, yeah, you can come to the audition. And they gave me an appointment time. And I went down to the audition. It was at Texas Video and Post um, in South Houston, kind of um, like over where Astroworld used to be, where Astroworld actually still was at the time. Mm -hmm. And I went to the audition, February 12th, 1994. I went in and um, what they had us do, this was everything about this particular production was totally different. It is not the way it has ever been done since at all. But again, they had never hired actors before. So we, um, they passed around some scripts that had like a couple of scenes from the show that we were doing, which was guy double target. And then also there was like a monologue from a Marx brothers movie, uh, like a night at the opera or something. And so we went into the audition and that's what we did. And I had uh, worked on the, the script, uh, you call it a side, like the part of the script that we had. So I did all that and I went in and I auditioned and I remember there was a, a villain, Helga Hildius Teal. And I decided that she should be Russian because again, this was 1994. So back then all the villains in movies were always Russian. <laughs> and um, mm -hmm. so I read for that. And then I read for the, the female lead as well, Reina. And I thought it went pretty well. You know, I was asked to read, you know, different ways, different things. And the, uh, the guy who was the director there, Matt Greenfield, he said something like, oh, well, that was, that was good. And I'm sure we'll be contacting you sometime soon. You know, he's very reserved, very, I always say stoic. Matt's very stoic. Yeah. And uh, so I was like, oh, okay, you know. So I walked out the door to get in my car. It was raining just a little bit. There was a light rain. And John Ledford, who's the co-founder of ADV, he came running out the door and he says, oh my gosh, that was great. And then he like realizes that it's raining. So he's like, can we get in your car? So we sat inside my car and he was telling me that 
I I was the best audition and that they wanted me to play the the female lead role in their movie. And I was like so excited, especially based on that what the other guy was saying, like he was super stoic. And oh, I'm sure that was fine. I'm gonna be fine soon. That's my that's my Matt Greenfield impression. Um uh, anyway, so I got hired and then they asked me to come back the next day because they were gonna have um callbacks. And so callback auditions, that's typically when uh, you, you're narrowing the field. So this is done very commonly, like in, in plays and in, in films, commercials, whatever. You have the big audition where you see everybody and then you kind of narrow that down. So I went back the next day and I read scenes with the, you know, sort of top three or four or five choices to play guy which ended up being rob mungle the legend and uh then reading scenes with kind of the second female character um in the show oh gosh what was her name i can't remember the character's name i mean i only did it 29 years ago anyway but the actor who was hired was carol amerson who ended up being in a lot of the early adv shows she played she was the original voice actor for hikari and evangelion um so yeah, that was that's kind of and Marcy Ray. I don't think I'm I'm not sure if I read opposite Marcy Ray, but she ended up playing Helga Hildia's heel, and then again going on to become an ADV legend. But that's really how the whole thing started. So several years later, I started reflecting back on this, and I was thinking, wait a minute, I was I was the first actor to be hired in Texas to to voice anime. It didn't even, you know, at the time I was just excited about it. It was my first paid acting job, you know, and uh, yeah, that's 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 the long version of the story. But basically, that's how I got involved with the whole thing. And at the time, again, nobody was dubbing anime in Texas yet. Mm -hmm. So I was there like at the beginning. So definitely before Crunchyroll and Funimation. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> But Funimation started up, ADV actually started in 1992. So they were originally releasing subtitled shows. Funimation, I think they started right around 1994. And of course their first thing they did was Dragon Ball, but for their first two or three years that they were dubbing it, it was being dubbed up at Ocean Studios in Vancouver. So mm -hmm. they didn't start um, dubbing their own shows in house until I want to say 96 or 97. I'm not 100% sure on the dates on that, but it was something around there. Yes, I have mm. to say, we've actually talked with yeah. Saffron Henderson, who did Young Gohan and Young Goku at the time okay. in Vancouver. Oh, okay. So she's, she's yeah. a wonderful person if you haven't met her. I have not, but that that is so cool. I mean... That anyway, but that that's how everything got started. So for me, obviously, I was competing against other people for the role, other actors. But I guess the advantage that I had at the time is I was not competing against anyone else who was maybe they could have had some voiceover experience, but there were no anime voice actors because it had never been done in Texas at that time. So we were we were breaking new ground. <laughs> That is actually totally awesome. And I think it happened happened here in Houston. <laughs> yes, it did at Texas Video and Post. And back then, the only time 
that they could get to record was like in the middle of the night. So would we work on that show? Oh my gosh, Greg. Yeah, we, we were doing these, the auditions were on weekend, but then when we actually recorded it, it was like in the middle of the night, like the session would be, you know, from nine or 10 o'clock at night until four in the morning or something it was horrible. And that's, and that was the case on the first thing, Guy Double Target. And then the second show that we dubbed, which was several months later, uh, was a Samurai Showdown, the motion picture. And uh, yeah, again, we were yeah doing that in the middle of the night. And it was exhausting. <laughs> Might be exhausting, but knowing the Houston yeah. traffic, that was probably the best time. <laughs> mm. Yes, much, much less traffic for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness. But that's, that's really how we started out. And then in, in 96, ADV actually built their very first studio. That was their own studio, you know, that they operated out of their own property. Hmm. So it was almost just knowing the right people at the right time. Mm. Yeah, really. Uh, I'm sure of, if I hadn't got hired to work on that project, I would have been involved in anime at some point because really there's there's virtually no actor anywhere in the greater Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, Austin area who hasn't worked in anime at this point. Mm -hmm. I like every, all of us have. I just was very lucky to find out about that first audition and get in there when I did, you know, because it's um, the competition is it's a lot different now. So you're competing against thousands of people who have experience working in anime. And I got to be a lead it's, in my very first job. <laughs> it is, it is very competitive. I know a lot of mm -hmm. people who have been trying to get mm -hmm. into it. Some who are just yeah. getting into it. And I know that mm -hmm. they talk about the difficulties. Mm -hmm. And um, that's, so that's a difficult question that I have is people say, Oh, geez, well, how do I get into that? And I am, literally the worst person to ask because I, I, I was like, well, I, I don't know. Do you have a time machine? Maybe you can go back to 1994. I, I don't know what to tell people. It, like, it's very true. Cause yeah. I think in 90, 96 or 97, I actually mm -hmm. was asked to do an audition, but it was to be done on a tape mm -hmm. and, they, right. and they, they didn't specify back then. So it's like, mm -hmm. okay. Let me mm -hmm. go ahead and I'll go to a studio. I'll get the tape done. They put mm -hmm. it on one of those smaller tapes, mm -hmm. which I could actually eventually re record it to cassette tapes. Yes, mm -hmm. I'm talking cassette tapes, people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Before CDs. <laughs> and then when I yeah. turned it in, they, and when I turned it in, they said, oh, we, we just wanted you to do it straight out. We didn't want you to go to a studio and do it. And it's like, oh, come on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's uh, yeah. Back in the day, you had to you know go into go into some studio somewhere to do an audition, and of course, for years and years now, I've done all my auditions at home. And mm -hmm. I, I went as soon as we were able, because we were auditioning from home way before most people were um, in a position to you know actually record a job, you know, record some kind of a finished thing. But I've been auditioning for projects at home for gosh, definitely over 10 years now. It is that was a game changer. Yeah. And I know, I know COVID did a lot of game changing with the studios mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. 
I think I've heard Indeed. that they only allow one people in the studio to record at some places. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. One thing, hard. one of the things I know that they were doing and, and maybe still will keep doing is, you know, studios, they used to always be booked just back to back, back to back. So, you know, maybe I would go in and have a session from 10 until one. And then the next person would record from one until two. And then somebody be from two until seven or, you know what I mean? There was no break. And so then what they've started doing is putting some like buffer of time in between to like clean and disinfect the room and you know, whatever. But that used to not be the case at all. I mean, you'd really just be going in right in behind somebody. So that was one of the changes. Now, did you ever get to read off of people or did you just do all your recordings at once? Uh, yeah, well, the the standard um, method for dubbing of a foreign language film, which is, of course, what anime falls into. But the standard way that that's done, whether it's, you know, whatever country, it's just like the industry standard for this practice is that you just really have one actor in the studio um, at time so there's there's not very many people there you've got your voice actor in the in the recording booth and then in the outside part of the studio usually you've got a director and a sound engineer engineer and normally those are all of the people um, i have worked on some projects in the past that had um two or in one case even three isolation booths where we had windows you know and we could see the other actors um that's usually not the case it doesn't logistically usually make sense to to do that it's only very specific circumstances where that actually works and most studios aren't set up like that anyway oh i was going to ask when you did it like that did you enjoy reading off the people where you could oh yeah it was great um and there was a show called go dinner that we did back in 2006 and it was based on these teams of robot pilots. So most of the most of the um, actors, like they had a person with whom nearly all of their dialogue took place. So if you think of, I don't know, a lot of shows that you might watch, I'm just gonna pick Evangelion just for the sake of talking. So if you were Shinji in any given episode, Shinji would have a scene with, with Misato, with, with Kensuke, with Toji, with, with Ritsko, with Asuka, with Ray, he would, that one character would have scenes with all these different people. So how would you logistically schedule that? You'd have to get everybody to be there to come in and talk for five minutes and then the other person, mm -hmm. it just doesn't make any sense. But mm -hmm. on Godanner where you had, you know, like say my character, um, a lot of the scenes that I had were, um, Oh my gosh, I can't remember the character's name, which is terrible because I wrote the scripts, but Chris Ayers was the actor. Mm. And um, oh, oh man, that's driving me crazy. I can't think of the character's name. But anyway, <laughs> that was so awesome when he and I could look at each other because a lot of the times we were doing things in unison, you know, and we'd do the ridiculous call outs of the maneuvers that we were going to do, like thrusting kick or, or whatever. And yes, I mean, it was super fun to, um, have that opportunity but like i said logistically there's no way for it to make sense on a on a regular basis 
But oh, well, I will. I'll go back and tell you the very first show that we did, Guy Double Target. They did yeah. get all of the actors. Um, oh, any funny behind the scenes? Mangus. No. Okay, yeah, we'll do that. Um, so when we were working on the very first show, uh, Guy Double Target, and again, none of us had ever done this before. We were in the studio that we were using, the actually recording part where the actors stand with the microphones. It was not like a little booth, which is what we is standard that we use now. We were in a studio that was used like to record bands. So it was this huge room. And the director was actually Matt Greenfield, the director. He was standing in that room next to myself and Rob Mungle. We were all standing in this room together at the same time and the problem with that is that if one person makes a mistake then everyone has to go back and redo it and there were i remember some times and again please remember we were recording this at like two three four o'clock in the morning when we we're exhausted mm -hmm. and there was one guy that they brought in and i do know his name but i'm not going to say it but anyway, he was kind of a wannabe actor who was a friend of somebody's, and they let him have this small part. And I remember that we were in there trying to do this scene, and we did it over and over and over again. And I, I mean, I wanted to kill the guy because it was horrible. <laughs> and, and, you know, if, if you're doing it in the more standard way that's always done now, where you have one actor at a time, I would have been able to record my dialogue and I would be done and I could just move on to my next scene. But as it was, I had to keep doing all of my lines over and over and over again because we were recording at the same time. And that was unbelievably frustrating. Um, yes. Uh, but any other, oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> I tell you what, I can remember. So another one from the, the from the early days working on Samurai Showdown, the character that I played was Charlotte and she is French. And and I remember uh, John Ledford, who's the was the president of ADV, still works in the business, you know, but he wasn't really. Um, he was kind of around in those days, but he wasn't actively participating in producing the show because that was matt was directing these things but i can remember john sleeping on a couch in the outer part of the studio and i remember him waking up at one point and kind of groggily listening to us for a moment and and then making critiques of my french accent and i was like well john you tried doing a french accent at two o'clock in the morning you know oh that was it was rough it was really rough back then um and you know it was when we first had the first adv studio that was tricky because there were a lot 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 of technical problems with the first studio and it ended up being completely dismantled and rebuilt because this guy assured them he knew what he was doing and spoiler he did not um yeah it was really like uh, frontier days back then uh perseverance yeah <laughs> uh it's yeah now and nowadays you know all the people that you're working with they're seasoned professionals all these people 
all the sound engineers, the directors, the script writers, everybody, they all know what they're doing because we've done it for such a long time and we all have a lot of experience and um, it, it goes much more quickly and uh, yeah, and the technology has improved and so forth. But uh, yeah, it's, it is very interesting to reflect back on those early, early days. So. Definitely. Now, one question I always also like to ask is, is there a certain character that you can reflect with yourself that you have like the common commonalities with or ah uh, well i always kind of thought um becky farah from gunsmith cats um she puts up with a lot from uh from rally rally vincent is always asking her for favors and uh my character becky is kind of like a uh, private investigator who who works for rally and rally's more like a sort of a bounty hunter type uh, I I don't know how much I personally have literally in common with Oscar. Of course, that's the character that I'm most associated with. Uh, but I I mean I love Oscar. You know, Oscar is part of me, and I I I can't sort of extricate myself from Oscar. Oscar and I are joined forever we're conjoined twins somehow <laughs> well it's always good to have something that you're mm. really connected to yes yes i just i when the whole um netflix debacle happened and that was that was really uh, an, a difficult thing for me going through that and I really, I genuinely asked myself, and this might sound crazy to people, but I said, I said out loud to myself, I don't know who I am if I'm not Oscar, you know, and I feel that connected to her, that she's just really part of me, part of who I am. And I think it's now on Amazon Prime. The yes, it is. The um, the rebuild movies are on Amazon Prime. It's a little trickier if you want to watch Neon Genesis Evangelion, the original TV show. That is that's trickier to find. You kind of you either have to find the old um, ADV DVDs, some version of that. Uh, the platinum version is better if you can find it. When the Blu-ray came out last year. If you bought the super deluxe version, you could get the, um, I think they called it the classic dub. Mm. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's trickier, but it's still around. It'd be nice sometime if our version was more widely available. That would be great. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Now, you have been doing a lot of conventions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I noticed you, you have a few coming up. Is some you can tell us mm -hmm. about that you're going to? Um, let me see. I I think, boy, I don't have my list in front of me. I think the next one just off the top of my head is I'm doing AugustaCon in Augusta, Georgia. It's a one-day event on uh, Saturday, the uh, May 6th. So I will be there and... Uh, I, I, I have several other ones that I've sort of been invited to that I don't think are official yet. I, 
I am, oh gosh, I'm, I hesitate to say, I try to keep that updated on my website, which is tiffanygrant.com. I know that's terribly original. And I, and I always make announcements on my Facebook group as well, Tiffany Grant Fan Club on Facebook. So I, I do try to um, keep those mentions on there so that people know what's what. Oh, yeah, there you go, TiffanyGrant.com. Mm-hmm. Now, <laughs> I actually used to live in Augusta for a few years. So, Oh, okay. They have the big golf tournament there. That's where the Masters happens. Oh, Lordy. I lived right next to that golf course. Uh, I did not ever want to drive. That is worse than Houston traffic. Yeah, I'm sure. Especially during that time. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, when, when I was growing up in the Woodlands, they did the Houston Open was held in the Woodlands many, many, many years in a row. Um, at the Woodlands uh, Country Club, I guess, but there was a, a you know a PGA course there in the Woodlands, which is just north of Houston. And oh my gosh, whenever that was happening, whenever the Houston Open was there, this was kind of a small town, really, and the traffic would just become nightmarish all of a sudden. And um, kids were routinely like skipping school. And one of the big things was that on the first day they would have the celebrity pro-am and there would always be these celebrities out there. And I remember I went two years in a row. I, I skipped school two years in a row to, uh, and I think they eventually started just making a teacher in service day. Cause there would be <laughs> so many kids who skipped school, but yeah, we went out there, me and my best friend, James, and we were running around chasing different celebrities and collecting their autographs, you know, and I can remember uh, meeting Bryant Gumble from the Today Show and Charlie mm-hmm. Pride, who was the, a very famous country music singer. And he was like, that was right in his heyday at the time. Um, Lee Trevino, who was a, a famous mm-hmm. golfer. I mean, he was a golfer, but he was also kind of like a celebrity golfer, like you know, like Arnold Palmer or somebody like that. Yes. Um, anyway, I don't remember all the, the celebrities that we met, but we had a list of who the um, celebrities were. And we would be like checking them off to run around and find them and get their, get their signatures. Yeah. Speaking well, of golf tournaments. It's funny how you <laughs> said that they made it into a teacher in service day because at Augusta, I think they, mm-hmm. in Augusta, they actually made it spring break. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because nobody wants to drive around. Yeah. And not only that, but people would actually rent out their houses to people coming down and then they would go somewhere. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Several years later, um, I was, my, my grandmother was like a huge, huge golf fan and I was able to get tickets for her and my grandpa to go to, to the Houston open. Um, Mm. and we, the, the company that was hosting the party had rented out a house that was on the golf course. And I think companies paid many, many, many thousands of dollars to rent out those houses just for, you know, a couple days. Oh yeah. And that was like all the fancy people lived in the houses on the golf course. We did not, we did not live in a fancy house on the golf course, Greg, that we did not do that. But no, I was back in the back near research, (laughs) research forest. Mm. So, 
it, it has grown. I, yes, I it has. I was going to say research forest was not even a thing when I was living there. But <laughs> anyway, people people don't want to hear about our glory days at no, Kala High School. No, neither was mm. 242. So, right. Oh, man. Yeah, we, we could talk a lot about the past. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah, I do go. Going back to the conventions thing, I, I started doing conventions in 1997, so I have been doing conventions for over 25 years now, and I, I do still attend several conventions every year. A, kind of a trend that I've noticed over the past year or so seems to me that uh, I'm getting invitations with very short notice. And it, it doesn't seem that way to me. It is that way. I am now on a regular basis, getting invited to a convention that might be happening in the next two to four weeks, where I used to always get invited to conventions six, eight, 12, 14, 15 months in advance. I mean, it was not at all unusual to be invited to a convention a year or more in advance. Oh, uh, I'm not going to say names, but I do help out some conventions around here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And like I said, I'm not going to say names, but one of them has actually just threw, threw one onto somebody else saying, here, take it. Let's see mm -hmm. what you can do with it. And it's like mm -hmm. two months away. And it's like, mm -hmm. people, you need more time than that because a lot of people are already booked and it makes sure. it different. Yeah. Well, the thing that that always concerns me is getting people to the show. Mm -hmm. yes. uh, oh yeah. Doing events before they came, became mainstream. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. When I was doing conventions <laughs> back in the nineties, people would actually refer to convention season. And by that, they generally meant like the summertime. That would be con season. I mean, you look, mm -hmm. go to animecons.com. And every weekend, there are multiple conventions happening every weekend. There are so many. Uh, and now, it, it used to be that you, you'd feel pretty good if there was a convention that you could drive to within, I don't know, four or five hours. Now, people mm -hmm. expect one to be, you know, 10 or 15 minutes away from their house. Right. And, and that's that's generally what they expect. They expect there to be a convention in Augusta. You know, it's not good enough for there to just be one in Atlanta, and that's the one that everybody in the whole mm -hmm. state of Georgia goes to. No, you know, there's going to be conventions in Augusta and Savannah and, you know, all over the place. So that's very much expected. And I love the conventions, really. Uh, yeah, they would think they would line up the guests and wait to announce the names. Well, that does happen. And I always that's why I was hesitant to say anything, because even when I'm confirmed with the convention and I know that I'm going to it, I don't say anything publicly until they've announced it on their website. But, yes. uh, you know, when I got invited to to Waifu Fest in Houston, I was invited to that four or five weeks before the convention happened. And at the point that they invited me, I mean, the first thing I always do when I get invited to a convention is like, well, I do a little Google search, look for their website. <laughs> they didn't have a website. They didn't have a Facebook page. They didn't have anything. And it was pretty amazing. Oh, thanks, Chris. It was pretty amazing to me that in a month, 
they actually they they within a couple of days they had a website they had a facebook group there was a vendor room that was full of vendors they had guests people actually attended the convention uh yeah i mean it is true there are so many and you don't have to drive for five or ten hours although people still do when i yes. did that con convention uh in houston there were a lot of people who had driven there from dallas and uh, you know san antonio austin you know that had driven for a few hours or several hours and when i was doing that convention in houston new year's weekend i had not yet been invited to um go to something called the otaku food anime village which was a free festival that happened in dallas uh the last weekend of january so i was in houston and there were people who drove from Dallas to see me in Houston. And then some of those people, I saw them again when I was in Dallas. And I had to say to them, I'd be like, look, when you just saw me in Houston earlier this month, I did not know that I was going to be in Dallas because they invited me to that like three weeks beforehand. And, mm -hmm. and I mean, that's just a lot of these things are going like that. It's stunning to me to not ask people but you know i'm very old school so i but if the thing is if i'm available and you invite me to come to an event i'll probably go i don't often turn things down and if i do it's usually because um i'm i have a conflict that i'm that i'm already doing something else so for the most part if somebody invites me i will go that's always good to know mm -hmm. that's what I like it. I enjoy it. I've done almost 300 conventions now. And by the way, uh, in nearly every U.S. state, and I have done a convention that was actually in the District of Columbia. So my my four states to complete my bingo card, uh, I'm waiting on Wyoming and Montana, which do have conventions, but, you know, smaller populations there. And then uh, Delaware and Rhode Island which are very tiny states, but they also do have conventions. So I'm hopeful. I'm trying to think. I know there's one Those up in Fargo. Oh, yeah, I've already Fargo. done North. I've done North Dakota. You've yeah, done that's, North Dakota? That, yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's only Wyoming, Montana, Delaware, and Rhode Island. Those are, yeah, I've done Anime hmm. Fargo. Mm-hmm. Wow. So just just waiting on those four states, just <laughs> those four states. And, I, and I've been yeah. at that point for a few years now where I'm waiting on those last four states. That yeah. would be amazing. That would really. That people. Yeah, I know. Wyoming, Montana, Delaware and right. Rhode Island. That's it. That's it. Just those four. Mm -hmm. Do they have I've, Rhode Island? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, 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 yeah. In Providence, they've had conventions. Providence, I've actually, okay. yeah, I've actually been to Rhode Island before. I just haven't done a convention there. So, okay. For, for my bingo sure. card, it doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> I just wasn't sure what the size of it, if they did it multi, mm -hmm. multi-state or not. Mm, I, yeah. Well, they've, I, they have had some comic cons in, in Providence. The, my my one funny Rhode Island story is uh, when I was living in Connecticut back in 1986, and it was July 4th weekend, and so we decided let's go to the beach. So, <laughs> keeping in mind, at that point, 
I had lived up until March 1st, 1986, I'd lived my entire life on the Texas Gulf Coast. So if mm-hmm. I'd gone to the beach, it was like Galveston, Padre Island. I'd only been to the beach really in Texas. Oh, and in Florida, you know, oh, I think mm-hmm. California too. But I, the point is I had only gone to the beach in warm places, mm-hmm. right? So I go to the mm-hmm. beach in Rhode Island, July 4th, 1986. And it's a beautiful, warm, sunny day. I don't know, the temperature was probably 80 degrees or whatever it is in Rhode Island at that time of year. Put one foot in the water. And there were so many people who were in the water. And I was completely unprepared for how cold that water was. And I was like, well, I'm done. Let's just sit here on the sand where it's warm. (laughs) And people from New England, you can all laugh at me about that. But yeah, I was very naive. I didn't know. uh, (laughs) Well, (laughs) that was a learning experience. I I can see that. I've been to Rhode Island. I've I've been to Rhode Island, just haven't done a convention there. Mm. So it's on the wish list. Like I said, I lived in Virginia for two years. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. Uh, yeah, like like D.C. has the really hot, sultry summers and then the really, really frigidly cold winters. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's exactly where yes. I was in the D.C. Mm-hmm. area. Right. It's like, no. Mm-hmm. But, but I do want to say we have your website up and where yes. else can people find you? Oh, yes. Uh, Thank you. So I I don't do a ton of social media because too much drama. But uh, (laughs) on I I am on Facebook. I I do my Facebook group, which is uh, the Tiffany Grant fan club. No, I did not start my own fan club. Actually, someone else started it many, many years ago. And then I eventually ended up joining it and I participate in it. So that is where I'm active, where we can communicate in the Tiffany Grant fan club on Facebook. I don't do friends. I don't do any of that. I just, we can post and communicate and whatever um, there. I did a couple months ago, start a YouTube channel. Wow. Wow. Yes, that's right. I started a YouTube channel. Amazing. So I'm, I'm not great at video, but I'm trying to challenge (laughs) myself with this. And uh, so that my at on YouTube is Tiffany Grant two, three, six, five. So if you look for at Tiffany Grant 2365, that is my YouTube channel. So it's a lot of it's cat videos. I'm not going to lie. This whole time I've been talking to you, there is, there's been an orange tabby cat in my lap named Tora. He's sitting in my lap this whole time, keeping my lap warm or keeping his feet warm. One of those things, whichever is more important to him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, do, I do know that we have, like a, uh-huh. like I tell people, we have three dogs here inside. We have uh-huh. eight cat eight cats outside. And Woo! We had, uh-huh. and, and five chickens. Oh, okay. So, wow! And they lay they lay eggs of gold now, or they're worth gold, or something like that. <laughs> yes, and we get uh-huh. several a day. It's well, like, that's great. Time to go sell them at the corner. That's about what they're going for. Yeah, I started uh, I started about a year ago. I buy all of my eggs from a, a, lo- a little local farm. It's just a, a couple of miles away from me. And I go there and I get my eggs. They're 
I weigh the chickens and I thank them. Thanks, ladies. So I can I can see the actual chickens who who laid my eggs, and um, I am appreciative of them. And I like that. I like supporting the local economy and buying local and eating the fresh eggs. And that is totally awesome. I have to say mm -hmm. that. I, I'm yes. sure you don't pay a hundred dollars a dozen, though. <laughs> no, you know they were for for a long time. They were four dollars. They briefly were five dollars, and they're now actually six dollars a dozen, mm -hmm. which is not too far off of what you would spend in the grocery store. Actually, if in the grocery store, if I wanted to buy, you know, basically his eggs are like, they're like organic free range eggs. So if I wanted to buy mm -hmm. organic free range eggs in the grocery store, they would be more expensive than $6 anyway. Yeah. So, and, and I can see the actual chickens. I find that to be comforting that I can see them right yeah, there. That does help. That does help. <laughs> You're, I'm sure you're chick. Since well, you only have five, they probably all have names. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't. No. Named them. Oh well, that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> well, thank you so much for yes, inviting me here. It was a very nice chat with my my fellow Highlander. Um, appreciate that. Yes, and everybody. I want them to go subscribe to your YouTube channel. Yes. Follow you on Facebook. Yes. And All we do want to definitely thank you for being on. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And everybody else, we will be on next Thursday at 6 p.m. I'm not even going to try to pronounce names right now. I'll get that later. <laughs> <laughs> Wise choice. Wise choice. But Everybody, thank you for joining, and we will see you next week. Until then, adios.